0: Cal Cates. And I am Kathy Ryan. Welcome to
1: another episode of Interdisciplinary. In this podcast, massage therapy educators, practitioners, and positive deviants, Kathy Ryan and me, Cal Cates, we use research, science, experience, and humor to explore the broad landscape of healthcare and humanity, really, through an interdisciplinary lens, because isn't our experience interdisciplinary as humans? You'll always learn something, you'll always laugh, and you'll always come away better informed and with real things you can do in your own community and practice to create a more compassionate and collaborative system of care for all humans. I want to make sure to invite you all to our private interdisciplinary community at community.healwell.org. You can join for a month, you can join for a year, you can dip your toe in, you can dive all the way in, but... Um, If you enjoy the conversations we have here on the podcast, we're having even more conversations like this in the community, and uh, it's a great place to learn from and with your fellow practitioners across disciplines. Uh, Make sure that you share the podcast and link and do all the things so that all the people in your world and life know to come and listen, leave us a review, give us some stars all the things. So now the moment you've all been waiting for, today's pun. I actually had kind of a hard time deciding. I'm glad this is a weekly situation so I know we don't have to wait that long for the also incredible pun that I didn't pick today. You guys might actually know this one. Did you know why koalas aren't bears? No. They don't meet the koalifications. (laughs) That's right.
0: So, Kathy, what is happening in
1: British Columbia aside from laughing at really good koala puns?
0: Uh, COVID is happening. It's still happening. Um, vaccine rollout has had some issues here in Canada. Uh, people are getting vaccinated. It's slow uh, for for a variety of reasons, and I'm still encouraging everybody to wear masks and be smart and keep your distance. And most recently here in BC, uh, there was a travel ban that was issued within the province itself. So we have, I think it's five health districts in our province. It's a very, as I've mentioned before in the podcast, BC is a very large province, somewhere between the size of Texas and Alaska. So it's, it's a big province. Um, so we have five different districts. So now our um, our health. Uh, officials or public health officials are asking everybody to stay within their own health district and not travel about in the province to try to get things tempered here. That's where we're at. How about you, my friend?
1: Well, I think I would say uh, we're still in denial in a lot of ways. Um, we, we're seeing a a relatively steady plateau, uh, but we're not seeing like a decrease that would really in incidents or death rates that would say that the restrictions that are being lifted, uh, are well-informed. Uh, I think we just see, um, a lot of, um, Policymakers and decision makers sort of caving to the pressure that is mounting from people to just quote go back to normal. So I think, um, I do think that the vaccination rate is getting to a level where hopefully these changes in restrictions will extend the plateau rather than support another spike. But I don't think we really know until we know. And uh, I wish that people would just keep their masks on and keep being safe. But I don't know that that's going to happen. So we'll just keep watching it and doing what we can to educate and advocate. Same here. Yeah. So uh, I bet that COVID will come up a bit as we talk with today's guest, uh, our chum and colleague, Jill Cole. Uh, Jill, I'm not even going to try to say what your new fancy title is. I'm just going to tell the people that we're really glad you're here and let you tell us um, where you are and what you're doing and and why do we care about all the things you're going to tell us?
2: Well, thanks, Cal. Thanks, Kathy, for having me on the, on the show today. Um, I'm Jill Cole, and my official title is the Massage Therapy Coordinator at Integrative Medicine and Health. Uh, it's a part of University of Kentucky Healthcare, and we're located in, in the Marquee Cancer Center. Um, but our goal is to be Able to provide integrated medicine services throughout the enterprise, and we're getting there slowly but surely. Um, I'm a massage therapist. I've been in, in the in the field for I think this is my 23rd year uh, since 1998. Um, so I'm just I'm just really stoked to be here. I've, I have a background in massage education and research. I have a master's in higher education leadership, and yeah, I. Um, uh, viewers can't see me, but I, I'm actually, having have my mask on talking about COVID. I'm actually in the hospital, in the clinic today. And, um, you know, I think it's one of the things while you, uh, one of the things that just came up while you all were talking is I've, I've been getting hit with a lot of questions from other massage therapists. Now that we're all, you know, can, can, you know, if, if I'm vaccinated and my clients vaccinated, I'm think I think we can take our masks off in the treatment room. I think it's perfectly fine to, you know, to to move forward and, in in Kentucky particularly. Uh, the governor, we have a mandate which uh, supports boosts our efforts that we we remain masked and have eye covering. And um, in the hospital, we're we're masked, eye covered, gloves. You know. Anyway, the only thing, the two things that are uh, evident during COVID that weren't pre-COVID really are the masks and the eye covering all time, yeah. you know, so, um, which I'm very grateful for as well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I get off easy because I have infectious disease kind of at my fingertips. If I have any questions, we just call infectious disease part of the hospital you know, and and they have been just our allies. Uh, We were shut down just for a a short time. Um, Last year, uh, IMH, Integrated Medicine and Health, opened up, back up our massage services once the governor gave us the go-ahead that, yes, you can, you can, um, you can treat another, unfortunately, there's another hospital system in Lexington that that didn't happen, and that, To me, that's very sad that they, and they're still not treating patients in the hospital. So um, I'm just very fortunate that our administration really uh, sees the value of what we do and why. And we're still inpatient treating and we're outpatient as well. So
1: so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, that's awesome. So you guys, so the Integrative Medicine Health Program, it it sounds like you are everywhere on the hospital campus, you're inpatient, outpatient. Um, Tell us all the environments where therapists are working and how many, like, what's the shape of the program? How many massage therapists? What other disciplines are, are all together there?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I initially jumped on the steering committee uh, in 2015. Uh, I was in my former job at Lexington Healing Arts Academy. I was the director of education at that time, and that's a, a local um, career training school that trains massage therapists and so forth. So from that steering committee, we initially started out just in marquee, just you know, just treating cancer patients. Now we have expanded. Um, UK has three infusion centers, so we're in three infusion centers. In inpatient, we are um, uh, in cardiac rehabilitation, um, which is, and also the oncology floor. One of the really cool things that have that has just developed is that we have Kentucky Children's Hospital here, and we're able we're going to be able to provide sixteen hours a week. It's the start of inpatient services to the kids. Um, the 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 director of palliative care, the the physician there, is a, a huge champion, and I'm just really I'm just I get giddy, I get really excited, I'm, and so that's another place that we're getting ready to expand in terms of inpatient. Additionally, we ha- we have. Chair massage services, that it, it kind of got halted with COVID, but we 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 have provided chair massage to like the campus end, faculty, other healthcare providers, staff, and we're getting ready to launch an initiative to treat the frontline workers with COVID. So in UK, the 10th floor and emergency department really were the, the, the big crux of handling um, patients with COVID. And, you know, Definitely a lot of caregiver fatigue, uh, a lot of burnout. So, um, starting May 17th, there's myself right now and two other massage therapists. I'm onboarding four PRN massage therapists to, um, to work on the caregivers. We had just a huge gift from one of the Board of Trustees, and uh, we're going to be able to probably, I think, with we crunched the numbers, we're able to get, give about 250 free 30 minute massages. So it's a start.
1: Yeah, so. absolutely.
2: Yeah, and additionally, we have we've got a uh, acupuncturist on staff right now. The UK HMO covers that. We have narrative therapy. We ha- with um, uh, that goes inpatient. We have a team of creative um, arts therapists that include. Uh, we have about six to seven music therapists so the coolest thing i've experienced thus far being here is giving a massage while the music therapist is in the room so with the patient uh we were giving foot massage to the patient uh while the music therapist was playing and the patient just went out it was it was really cool the patient was good at risk he's on the heart transplant list so he we were able to really help his anxiety. So, um, animal assisted therapy that the dogs just came back on campus last week. They're all vaccinated. So I know, you. I know it's dog dominated y'all. We don't have any animal, uh, assisted cats yet.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that's a good choice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so that that's, that's going on, which is, was really exciting. Um, We've also been able to do telemed throughout throughout this with guided meditation, self-guided massage, um, yoga, um, uh, self-guided, um, some lymph drainage and so forth. So we've been really trying to kind of broaden kind of what we do and how we reach people.
0: Jill, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I have seen research out of, the university of Kentucky around massage therapy. Is that correct? I think I've seen like posters at conferences and, and so forth. Are you, are you directly involved in any of that?
2: Um, I am involved in some and Kathy, that's a great question because before massage became a part of our application at UK, initially they were a part of research. Ms. Sherby was a part of research. We have a long partnership with different providers in doing research. There was a, a pretty extensive low back pain study that came out of UK. Nikki Monk um, is a graduate of University of Kentucky. She got her PhD here in um, pe- um, gerontology. And so I'm, I'm actually, I have an alignment with the College of Rehabilitative Science in the College of Health Science and um, in terms of a, a couple of research projects that are going on. And, and yeah, I'm I'm super excited. We've got some champions over there. I'm going to be starting a post-baccalaureate class, Lord help me, in the fall, um, and uh, which would hopefully kind of uh, help me to get through to my PhD. So I'm looking at a PhD in rehabilitative Science with this focus on massage. So I don't know. I will we'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you you definitely have a, a good friend in, in Nikki Monk along that path. So <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Um, it's interesting, Kathy, you asked about research. And I was curious when you said that you were going to be able to provide all of these massages for caregivers. Um, And for, you know, frontline providers, are you planning to collect any uh, basic data about that? I feel like this is a place that we have tried to crack into for years and that COVID has sort of finally helped administrators see that providers need this as much as patients need it. But I feel like once sort of COVID dies down, everybody's going to go, that's fine. We don't need this anymore. And I wonder, um, you know, whenever we have those opportunities, what can we measure to show like, this is just a thing that should keep happening.
2: Right, right. So that's a great question, because what's been on my mind is the caregiver fatigue. And there's, there's, yeah. there's been so much um, uh, energy and movement around caregiver fatigue. And, and where what goes, what I'm really interested in is coming from a perspective, I gave a talk to a group of doctors a couple of weeks ago, and in, in the data that I gathered around self care, it talked about how it, it is Uh, also an issue of, of ethics. Because if I'm not taking care of myself, my, my ability to do my job, my competency in my, um, in my best practices are compromised. And I think that, you know, from my perspective, I'm really, that's really an area of interest for me, in particular, of how can I best serve my clients? And if, if I am not 100%, or if I'm not, if I'm burnt out, so to speak, you know, that, that, that term burned out. Yeah. So looking at, you know, what, where I'm interested in doing is looking at, you know, what can we do to help our competencies? If we come from that perspective, help, help our ability to do our job mm-hmm. and that it becomes an ethical issue. And therein it becomes our responsibility to take care of ourselves just as much as it does to take care of the patient. And so the, the two are core, they're, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that we have a, an, you're right, Cal, there's a, a, an interesting moment that we can really say to, to administration, uh, to other providers around us, this is important and we need this. And I've, I, I feel like that is a huge area of interest for me in, I don't know how it's going to look collecting data. Yeah, when we start, we're we're supposed to go live May seventeenth.
1: Yeah.
2: So um, I don't know how that's going to look, um, but I, I think it's an important question to ask, and it's an ethical question. It be, becomes a huge ethical co- consideration for all of us. You know, you think about us in massage therapy. We've known this for a long time, right? Because we're we come from a, a education that's more embodied and holistic. But, you know, we go through life, w- not just with our heads, with our whole self.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think you, you make a good point that, you know, massage therapists, we know this with our brains, but how many massage therapists do we know that also are fatigued as caregivers and who, you know, see more clients than might be healthy and work in environments where they don't have the kind of support they need. And so just because our brains know it doesn't mean that we're even doing the best job of taking care of ourselves. And, and what does that really look like? I think we talk so much about self-care. And the ways that it's not necessarily a vacation. What are the day-to-day things you can do to care for yourself and to create an environment in your work, in your home, where you feel supported? And I feel like that's one of the things that has been happening through COVID is people are finding a hard time finding support. There's commiseration, but like true support and resiliency, I think, has been hard to come by.
2: Definitely. I, I totally agree. I totally and I look at my, you know, from my personal perspective, I look at myself and I notice just, you know, my energy level. That's where I really have noticed a, a, a decrease. You know, it's it's that, you know, that hard mental lifting that we're all doing and really trying to move through this this time in our lives. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, you know, a lot of the patients that I see are fully vaccinated, but there's still, you know, that diligent piece of, you know, there's still in my mind, what if, you know, there's still a danger, you know, and and best, what are best practices there? Um, so, I, you know, and I'm also guilty of not taking time for myself, for sure, yeah. for sure.
1: Well, I think COVID has also... Uh, It's created this myth that this is why caregivers are fatigued. It's another layer for sure. But caregivers weren't starting with a full tank. The environment of providing care, particularly in clinical spaces, I feel like is, it is not uncommon for people to feel fatigue and burnout and um, the various words that we use to describe just being tired. Like you said, just feeling like, oh, I don't have all the resources that I wish I had. And I hope that we can keep the conversation about the toll caregiving takes on caregivers front and center, even as more people get vaccinated and sort of the specter of COVID around every corner is less present, it's not going to sort of become less stressful to be a caregiver. That has always been something that's, that's challenging and that requires real um, mindfulness to take care of oneself
2: absolutely uh, another hospital system uh, in the Midwest ha- that they have developed a, a, a particular in their nursing program uh, 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 I'm kind of paraphrasing but it's an essentially a, a self-care competency checklist and they they start like it, the integration uh, during the, the nursing program and then when they onboard nurses in their system they also implement so if if Say for example, if it was a nurse that didn't go through that system, they onboard the tra- the self care training, and they they have really tracked data uh, around that and you know well being, you know employee attendance, employee engagement and and so forth and they've seen some really positive results and this happened you know pre covid because with i mean th- you think about nursing just the 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 level of burnout that can happen in that profession is, in especially for new nurses you know support supporting new nurses and you know i think it it i think it goes across the board for any other allied health professional you know massage therapists and and so forth but you know i think you know the the longer i'm kind of around on the planets, so i will learn maybe a little like i'm looking at my pinky i will learn a little bit more it's about <laughs> you know, right. for sure for sure so you know i just you know when i start to ignore or when i get on autopilot and 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 not take care of myself then I'm like, then I'm curious, like, well, why do I feel bad? You know, or I get this back pain that I'm so surprised. Oh my gosh, my, my, I'm, my back has gone out, you know, kind of thing. So when in reality, it's just having that awareness of what I need to do. And how, ha- you know, if I put it in my schedule, it is work. It's not like you say, Cal, it's not a vacation. It's work it's part of my overall health. It's part of what we do in our active daily living rather than a little fluffy vacation with uh, a little fruity drink with a, with an umbrella, you know,
1: right. which is not to say that those are not also good. Yes, but those are good. Those are very good.
0: For when sure. not in a pandemic,
1: not anti-fruity drink. What'd
0: yeah. you say, Kathy? Uh, When, when you can travel safely and we're not in a pandemic, otherwise you can have your fruity umbrella drinks at home for now. Definitely, definitely.
1: So in this role, Jill, do you, um, do you have, uh, I, I want to figure out how to phrase this. Uh, what are your dreams for the program? And are they things you can make actionable? Does that make, I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been
2: thinking a lot about this. Uh, my dream for the program is to, you know, is to for us as as a, as a clinic to have just this robust outpatient clinic and where you know we quickly, um, or um, yeah, well, we quickly need more space, and we're able to have satellite outpatient clinics. We're all, we're all already talking about having a space in the Kentucky Children's Hospital that's a shared space. So identifying areas in the hospital that we can share space to be outpatient to uh, to reach family members. Uh, caregivers uh, of the of the patient, to reach staff, uh, to reach the patient. Um, and then my huge dream, uh, uh, additionally, is to create an educational program, Integrated Medicine Educational Program, and expand that, that we have curriculum in all of our, in, in the medical school, in the College of Nursing, all the other allied health Um, trainings at University of Kentucky that they have exposure, that, that would be uh, another dream. And then the third one is really to have a vibrant research arm of IMH where we're, you know, expanding, strengthening our partners here, where we're looking at different areas of interest from, from my staff, different, you know, questions that people really might want to, like, really discover and look into and, and, and contribute and, positive ways to research, because that helps with placement, with solid placement, helps with patient outcomes, and so on and so forth. So, you know, that's really a kind of my big dream, so to speak, just to take over the world. Well,
1: so, yes, with
0: kindness and compassion. And
2: yes, definitely.
0: <laughs> so, I, I mean, I love this conversation, and it makes me want to weep. Yeah. <laughs> oh you know, as a as a Canadian trained RMT, oftentimes when I, you know, am having conversations with colleagues around the world, there's always this, oh, the Canadian massage therapy education and training is so much more than what we have, you know, wherever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, we have a really good program in the regulated provinces. We have good national standards, but we are we are still very much in a silo up here. You know, you all are like light years ahead of us in terms of integrative care. We're just not seeing that happen in Canada. And that's kind of been one of my um, (laughs) peeves. It's like, it's great that we have this education and training, but, you know, we're just not getting out there, you know, to change the culture and and do what we can. So, you know, when I, when I hear Jill, you talk about your program, I'm like super excited. And I'm like, Oh man, we need to get our crap together up
1: here. <laughs> well, and I wonder, Kathy, when I've spoken with folks in, cause we did some work with RMTBC and talked about sort of like, how come, you know, massage? Mm-hmm. I know that one of the conversations um, was around nursing unions and sort of the again, sort of, I think the misunderstanding of how we fit and how massage doesn't actually replace or challenge any existing, uh, interventions, but the sense from physical therapists and, um, nurses and some other sort of, um, providers that are already in the system saying like, you know, we've got this covered and, um, I know that we've, we've had, we still have some turf, turf enough turfiness here in the States around that, but, um, yeah, so I don't know if there's a question in there, but I know that it's never an easy answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, there there is a certain amount of territorial turf war stuff. And you know i'm I'm hoping that perhaps Covid, you know, I think Covid is shining a light on a, a lot of areas of deficit. I know in Ontario, um, their premier is akin to a governor. Um, in the early days of COVID came out and said, you know, just the absolute devastation that was happening in long-term care homes and just how little uh, direct care patients were getting. So the premier in Ontario said, look, we've got to figure out a way that every patient has at least X amount of hours of direct care every single day, because that just wasn't happening. You know, they were getting like 10 minutes in, in the morning to get their meds and someone drop off their food and 10 minutes in the evening to get their meds kind of thing. Um, so, and I'm like, that is a perfect opportunity for massage therapists to work in those environments and ha- help to fulfill that mandate should it happen. And it should happen. And and similarly, you know, in hospital settings too, there are so many times when a patient is, you um, you know, being cared for in in a good way with the nursing staff, but, you know, times that they're just hanging out in their hospital room because the staff is overburdened and particularly right now. Um, So it would really help ease some of the burden on some of the other staff so that they can focus focus on, you know, what what they need to do. And then RMTs can help to fill some of those gaps.
1: Yeah. It makes me wonder, Jill, I don't know if you've been there long enough to to be able to comment on this but the or in this role, but we talk a lot about the difference between multidisciplinary care and interdisciplinary care. And as I'm listening to Kathy talk, I feel like the future of good health care, of effective community-based health care is interdisciplinary and that part of how we help each other understand that the, the competition is pain, the competition is discomfort, it's not each other, is to learn and practice actually together. And I wonder what you're observing there in terms of, you know, it's one thing to be aware that massage is a thing. It's another thing for me to be another, a practitioner of another discipline and actually call on the massage therapist to say, I have a patient who's dealing with this. What do you think? And for us to actively collaborate in better care for this patient.
2: You know, that's a, that's a great question. I I definitely think that that is, um, the stage is set here at UK for that. And it's starting to happen. Um, you know, what I've noticed, you know, I, I've been brought in, I, I'm, I'm starting to kind of set in on some different committees around um, non-farm with adults, you know, and with, um, with pediatrics and some different committees there. And one of the things that myself and my boss talk about is how can we really, how can we broaden and 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 get our message out to other providers within, you know, within the healthcare system. That you know, and I think I think it is coming. Um, you know, it it is. You're right. It's it's not. You know, this big competition. You know, one of the things that I really am am trying to do right now is reach out to to our partners in and physical therapy and occupational therapy. And really, you know, talk to them, especially the lymphedema specialist, you know, really talk to them about what they're doing and what we can, what we, how we can partner together to treat, to treat the patient, you know, and then the whole, uh, one of the things that I have been thinking about lately is I, I'm actually developing a presentation right now for, uh, providers, uh, for family members or patients, and also, you know, for, um, their loved ones as well is like considerations. What are some considerations for oncology massage? Because you know, educating the oncologist to say, you know, I, I had a referral for a patient who had um, a double mastectomy, and uh, she has a lot of of just tension sometimes and pain where um, she had her her implants put in, and so just you know that you know that whole pressure. You could, you can do a whole series about pressure adjustments and why. So it's education, you know, it's, it's like, what, what we, what can we do for your patient? And I, I, I feel like uh, we're actually getting ready to launch a new uh, EMR June 5th. Oh, um, we're going, we're, we're, we're transitioning to Epic. So right now we have a different one for outpatient, a different one for inpatient, a different one for scheduling. And my brain is like, whoa. and, and so that is going to make it, so much easier to just call for a consult for massage or any of our integrated medicine services right now. It's, it's a little wonky, but uh, the future of medicine is, is I feel like that is a huge part of the future of medicine is that it's interdisciplinary. It's not just, it's not, you don't just compartmentalize a person in their specialties. You have to think about how is this disease process affecting them as a whole, right? And so I I just I think it's huge. I think it's huge and you and we miss so much when we don't include the whole self. We miss so much of what if, you know, this person had an opportunity to write out what happened to them, what they're feeling. What if they had an opportunity to listen to some music Uh, when they're experiencing pain, when they're experiencing anxiety, you know, what the what ifs, you know, what if they had that healthy touch while they're getting, you know, their first chemotherapy or their, or while that child is in the sedation unit, you know, what if we're working on the kid that's getting sedation for the first time, you know, or for the 10th time, you know, so it's just those kinds of things. And, And I think I'm just very lucky and grateful that. This is happening now. You know, it, I go back. I, I went to the Boulder College of Massage Therapy. I graduated in 1998. And we were actually, I had an internship at Boulder Community Hospital. And I was working on patient's bedside. This was, this was a, quite a few years ago. And that really connected, started a spark in me. And when I moved back to Lexington in the late 90s, early 2000s, because uh, I'm from here, Uh, I I tried, you know, I kind of have been trying over the years and it just wasn't time then. And I'm just, just really cool to see the, see the champions that we have now, but there's still a lot of work
1: to do. (laughs) Still lots of work to do. Definitely. So Jill, as you were talking about how things are emerging and and how exciting it is that this is happening now, uh, I wonder about, how we, you know, part of creating interdisciplinary care is being advocates in our own right and really actively pursuing and creating interdisciplinary care. And we see a lot of massage therapists in our training programs and even sort of newer folks that we hire tend to be uh, unproductively deferential to other disciplines in a way that doesn't create an interdisciplinary environment. And when you're looking at, when we're training therapists, what we train them in has very little to do with their hands. Uh, And, helping them understand that you may be an excellent practitioner of the manual therapy and to bring a value added contribution in this environment, there are lots of other things that you need to understand and be able to do. And I wonder how do you, how do you cultivate that in therapists in your program? What do you look for when you're hiring people? How did you get where you are? Right. This is another great question.
2: And my first response and I'll explain myself is, (laughs) Don't Explain yourself. Yeah, my first response is don't ask permission. And what I mean is that don't ask permission for you to do your job as a massage therapist. We are licensed. We are well trained. We we have we go through our own uh, education to to become licensed. If you take it a step further, um, we, we can also become board certified. And that's a big C. You know that's a, that is a process that brings uh, what we do even to a different level of perhaps recognition, so on and so forth. So my first thing is, don't ask permission. We have value, and this is something that I've struggled with. You know, if if I'm being quite honest, you know, I I have struggled with, uh, you know. And I, I've, and I think it's something that we all need to, if we do struggle with it and examine, you know, first is to examine where we may have, um, uh, you know, vulnerability or insecurities in what we do. You know, our worth, you know, we are, you know, I would say don't ask permission. We are worth what we're doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We bring a value and this is Why? And I I think, I feel like I've been driven, I've been, I've had a lot of different experiences with the field of massage therapy (laughs) over the years. Some have been incredibly, incredibly positive. Some have been incredibly, incredibly negative. Um, But, you know, once you make that commitment and you dive in and you're there, you know, for me, I, I feel like it's, I just have always felt that push and that call maybe not in that order of you know get my hands on somebody i was 22 i think when i first had a massage and the physiological and emotional experience that i felt was so profound that it's still with me today at 47 and i hope that i have been able to if it if it's that I've been able to facilitate that if if that is there for that other client or patient, I've been able to to meet that patient where they are. To me, I feel strongly that we need a seat at the table in interdis- interdisciplinary health care. I feel strongly that we fit in with patient care and patient health outcomes. And that we can, we are, and we will continue to make a positive difference. But I just, uh, when we're working with other healthcare professionals, we don't need to ask permission for what we do. We know what we do. You know, we're the, we are the uh, subject matter experts in all things massage therapy. And we have to help inform, educate, keep the bus going, keep the train moving.
0: Oh, 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 I want in on this conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, please, please. <laughs>
0: you, you know, um, and this just came up recently because I presented at a couple of conferences on the weekend. People asking about how do I get certified in, let's say, scar tissue work, because that's one, one of the, the things that I chat on about as a massage therapist. And I'm like, don't look to me for that, you know, and, and, you know, kind of touches in on Kel, what, what you were talking about too, in that, you know, I think one of our gaps in massage therapy is some kind of standardized process for advanced uh, clinical practice. So we don't, often work in, here in Canada we don't work within an institution that will provide that kind of education and training for us and I think there are various organiz- organizations like HealWell who've done a really great job of creating coursework that helps exactly you know get people there Um what I would like to see is something really standardized. And while I was having this conversation with someone, they're like, oh, what techniques would you include in that? And I said, zero, zip, none, no techniques. <laughs> a technique is, is not an advanced clinical practice. Um, understanding the intricacy and the complexities of certain um, aspects of what a patient is going through, that is advanced clinical practice. So, you know, I've I've said before – I could teach an entire weekend of scar tissue management and not teach one technique. I mean, I do include that because massage therapists are massage therapists and they like to see the hands moving.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: But, you know, I, I could cover that topic matter. I think effectively without ever demonstrating one technique. And I think people could come away with something that would help support them in delivering good care to their patients.
1: Well, I feel like what you what you just said Kathy makes a lot of sense. I'm seeing a woman next week who is in her 90s and has advanced Alzheimer's and her daughter contacted us because they had brought in another therapist uh, a few months ago. Uh, this woman has a lot of contractures and this therapist snapped a tendon on this woman's body. And you know, I my brain goes to, you know like stupid, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think, you know, I bet that person is a perfectly competent therapist with a quote, healthy body. But when you have contractures that are connected to neurological disease, and when you have like, not understanding, it it wasn't what that person did with their hands, it was what their brain told their hands to do because of their limited understanding of what was happening in the body. And I think that, you know, which leads me to my question to you, Jill, because you, um, we've been active, um, I'll just say detractors of board certification, not because of the concept of it, but because of how it actually exists in our country. And what would you like to see? To I don't think that board certification as it exists presently through the National Certification Board is valuable. Um, it, it is a It is a piece of paper that speaks the same language as medicine. And so in that way, and I think that that's kind of where the hat has been hung, is like we have to be able to say the same things they say, but people who are board certified aren't necessarily being held to a higher rigor or something that really does connect these dots and says to hospitals, consumers, this is an advanced practitioner. And what would you say, like, if you were going to write a little love letter to NCB and say, like, I would love it if this was part of board certification or or maybe that's not a letter you would ever write. And um, you can hear my question under the question about what do we need to do?
2: Right. And and absolutely. I I do. I do hear you. And, you know, my background, you know, graduating from Boulder College, I graduated with about twelve hundred hours of actual classroom hours, another thousand of. Uh, practical hours. And at the time they were developing an associates um, uh, uh, of occupational science. And, and uh, sadly my school is not around anymore, but it, it was from that, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't know any better. I, I always knew that, you know, from my perspective, I, I had a really uh, wonderful entry level training program. And as such, it, um, you know, it was expected of all of us to go through, and this was in the late '90s, and take the tests and so forth, and it was expected. Um, but now, I've, I, you know, having been in massage therapy education, um, in in administration, and also instructing, you know, I, I definitely have seen how we have addressed some of the gaps of entry level learning. Through ELAP, uh, we still have more to go. If I were talking to NCBT and B, I would I would say, you know, what if we could really address a advanced practitioner competencies across the board? You know, w- let's look at you know, let's look at how maybe neuropathology. Let's look at you know. Uh, a lot of different pieces in pharmacology. And I, th- I think really just how can we look at that? And I'm coming from that bolder perspective of yeah. kind of had it set the stage for me. And I know that that's not the norm. So yeah. that's what I would like to see is can we identify as a, as a profession, what are, what, are, what, what are some advanced practice competencies that we need to have in order to have board certification? I think that would carry more weight. You know, and and I, I and I do I understand and see a lot of the specialty certifications that are have come out. I've been actually helped to write the some of the test questions for oncology and so forth. But going deeper, what is, what are the foundational competencies other th- rather than a- having to take the test, rather than being uh, in practice for so long and so forth. So, so I do agree. I think it. I think it's more. I could teach you all day about techniques, like you said. Um, but if you, you know, you know, what do you, what if you go into a patient's room and they're um, on the hospice floor and you actually know them, right. You know, how do you deal with that situation? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And th- I mean, that's not to totally slam uh-huh. techniques. I am a massage therapist. I'm still a clinician. I still move my hands around. And, and I love the technique stuff, but, you know, I think that's such an important point is that, um, you, you know, I feel like our entry to practice education and training here in Canada, we've gotten to a place where it's pretty solid. There's, it's, it's a living breathing thing. It's, it's going to change and evolve over the years. But I think we've, I think we've done a pretty good job here in Canada of creating good national standards, but what next, you know, and, and, particularly in the regulated provinces. And some of the associations in the non-regulated provinces have a requirement for uh, quality assurance or ongoing evolution of the therapist. And there's some tools that the regulators use to kind of, you know, ensure, you know, the CE thing is part of some of the regulators' quality assurance packages. Some of them just says you do have to do this, but we're not accrediting certain courses or we're not telling you how many hours you just have to do this. It goes in your portfolio and we're going to check your portfolio from time to time. But what I would like to see is that next step of having actual uh, competency standards around advanced Care for these very complex issues like neurological, like oncology, like post-surgical, like mental health. You know, there's a there's a number of these issues that are written right into our um, what's called our interjurisdictional competency document, which is the the framework for the national standards here in Canada. So it has these complex care areas identified. Um, so it's already expected of us, but we have no actual framework for that or standardization for training for that. So that's something that I am presently poking the bear. Um, I'm hoping we'll see some forward movement. I was speaking with a colleague and I said, I'm hoping this is my legacy piece as a massage therapist. Um, so y'all might get emails from me. Just warning you. because <laughs> I think it yeah. I think it would be great to see it as an international thing, you know, essentially, and not just a Canadian thing. Um, so I would like to hear voices from other places, really knowledgeable, um, fabulous people like yourselves uh, have some input on this.
2: Definitely. I, I think for in order for us to uh, survive as a profession we have to think about how can we evolve? You know, you, we had such a boom of, of massage therapy training, you know, 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Um, and now, you know, we've seen the, the, the slowing, slowing of people getting into the field. There's more demand than there is supply. So it's like we have to really look at, like you said, what is, what is the legacy of massage therapy? How can we make it more sustainable? Uh, you know, the when we look at, you know, kind of the forecasting of jobs in terms of tech, uh, in terms of how our jobs are going to change as, you know, in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the thing that has not gone away is the need for touch, the need for human contact for people. And so we have to figure out how can we, you know, s- how can we stay, you know, go, you know, stay in the game. And,
0: and this is a a huge piece of how we do it. And that's such an important point, Joe, you know, it's not like we have to reinvent the wheel because if we take a look at every single healthcare profession, they've done this and they're doing this. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I appreciate you saying really clearly that, You know, I think we look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics predictions and AMTA telling us always that massage is one of the fastest growing professions. And, you know, we also see an incredible, uh, I guess, dropout rate, you would call it from, you know, within five years, a very large percentage of people who've gone through massage training leave the profession. And so, but I think we see those statistics and we think, and we think about what you both just very smartly said that the need for touch will never go away. And we become complacent and we say, well, people are always gonna want rubs, right? People are always gonna want to be touched. And so we don't have to worry about it. And we are, I mean, I feel like we're now able to get our whole foot in the door in environments like where you are, Jill, but we don't have our shoulder in the door. The door isn't open, you know, right. and, it, and it could close. <laughs> it's all right? about what we do now in this moment, how much further the door opens and how long, and if it just stays open permanently, or if we're, you know, 30 years from now, people are having these same conversations and wondering when when are we going to make it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know, for me, I think the driving force in anything that I do is the is the care. Providing the care for patients. Otherwise, I wouldn't still be at this after 31 Absolutely. years. Yes. So, you know, that's our motivating factor, I think, is that there are many massage therapists that have no zero interest of working in some kind of institutional setting. And and cer- certainly that is a prerogative And and there's lots of work for them to do. But we can certainly see that the patient need is there and the value for the patient. I think that should be enough to motivate us to say, hey, there's a whole area here of patients who are being missed who could benefit from this care. Let's get there and and provide that for them.
1: Absolutely. Any uh, parting words of wisdom, Jill? You've already uh, spent many of your wise words with us, but... Well, I think I talked about my
2: qualifications very well. Kind of, kind of, circle back to the the pun in the initial. Barely
1: scratched the surface. It's true.
2: (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. Um, You know, I think parting words would be uh, continue to find if we can continue to find our passion. If we continue to define what. Uh, what is needed from us, where we are needed, how can we express our need, um, then, then we can start to, you know, inch our foot, maybe get our leg in the door, you know, keep the door, maybe w- walking through that door, that threshold, you know, how c- how can we get ourselves through the threshold? And what does it look like on the other side? That's what I'm kind of envisioning. You know, I'm here and I'm envisioning what does it look like on the other side of the door?
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I can step fully through. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited about so many things now. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us, Jill, and and for being with all the people you're with there in Kentucky and and everything that you're doing. Um, I think we'll, we'll be getting into some good trouble coming up here. Uh, so thanks very much. And Kathy, as always, thanks for uh, bringing the Canadian perspective and just your general charm and humanity. Uh, hey, thanks, <laughs> my friend. Right back at you. Yeah, thank be- you both. If you want to keep it going, come and check us out at community.healwell.org. I assure you it will be uh, well worth it, including live conversations every Tuesday night where we talk about all kinds of stuff. And uh, always learn from and with each other. So stick with us at Interdisciplinary. We've got some. Uh, we've got uh, healthcare for the homeless coming up. Stick with us. We've got some great guests coming up for the rest of season two. And uh, go give us some likes and reviews and all the things. And we'll see you next week. Thanks.
0: Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. You can send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at healwell.org. New episodes will be posted weekly via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our Facebook page. Thank you.